We are continuing our Advent series, uh, His Great Names, today. Uh, we're, we're basing the series in Isaiah 9, where one of the most famous prophecies about Jesus is given. And we're exploring it to find out what it means. It sounds really cool. Uh, but we're sometimes curious, like, what, what does this actually mean? And then how can that give us uh, some guidance, some, some ways of living as we go through this Advent season? And so let's take a look at our, at our main verse, and you'll see that we've highlighted uh, today's name. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Last week, we, we suggested maybe that's better as like Miracle Planner, or Marvel Planner, or Wonder Planner. A mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Well, Mighty God, it, it's, it's just kind of like last week. It's, it's weird that it gets translated this way, because uh, the Hebrew is, is not, it's not the word Mighty. It's, uh, it's gibor, it's the word warrior, hero. Um, you might say like a mighty warrior, sure, that could work, but it really is, you'll recall that there's not, there's no adjectives in the Hebrew, uh, so wonderful isn't really wonderful, it's wonders or marvels. Again, here, mighty, it's not really an adjective, it's, it's a noun, it's, it's warrior, warrior god, el gibor. And if you don't believe me, I'll show you uh, another place where this uh, term gets translated, another prophecy about Jesus. Um, this is from Zephaniah 3. Uh, Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem, because Yahweh has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. So Israel was, at this time is, is oppressed from other nations, right? And the prophet is saying, hey, there's good news. There's a time coming when Yahweh is going to come and turn your enemy back for you. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. He goes on to say this. On that day, when, when the, 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 the true king comes, when God shows up, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion, do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God with, is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Again, that's Gibor, where it says mighty warrior, it's just Gibor, the warrior who saves. God is the warrior who is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you in his love. He will no longer rebuke you. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now, what this indicates for us is that when Jesus is being prophesied about, there's an expectation. There's an expectation of the, of the people of Israel that this is not just any normal God. No, this is a warrior God. This is a, a God who is going to fight our battles for us. Uh, has anyone seen Top Gun Maverick? Oh, all right. Okay. This church is all about it. That's great. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, Tom Cruise is a veteran uh, pilot instructor, and, and he is tasked with this special mission where he's got to go to Top Gun uh, training in San Diego because there's this special mission that has to take place. And in this mission, the, the best of the best are going to be challenged at the highest level of their ability to fly because they've got to blow up. I think it's like a terrorist nuclear bomb. Who knows? Um, it's basically the Death Star, um, just in a different movie. But in order to do it, in order to do it, 
uh, they're going to have to have this, this extensive training program because they have to be prepared to handle like these absolutely terrible G-forces. They have to be extremely fast. And so there's this, this the, the problem happens when Tom Cruise's Maverick's been training them and even the best of the best cannot complete the mission. They have like a, they have a trial course and they're encouraged to go and try it again and again and again. And no matter what they do, they fail every time. And so Maverick has a plan. He's going to steal a jet and he's going to show them this can be done. Maybe. If I haven't met you, if you're watching online, I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. We're finishing. Hey, if I haven't met you, if you're watching. Oh, one second. Okay, well, I'll set it up some more. It's a really, really difficult mission. <laughs> so hard that the best of the best are unable to prove themselves capable of taking the aging F-18 Hornet, I believe, to these extremes, to this difficulty. And so they're need, they, they've lost all hope. And similarly, Israel has lost all hope. Israel's in a place where they can't do it on their own. They've tried and tried and tried, but they're unable to. They can't, they can't do what needs to be done to free themselves. And so now, I think, starting at 622, maybe, that's fine. Yeah, start there. Green range. Uh, Maverick, range control. Uh, green range is confirmed. I don't see an event scheduled for you, sir. Well, I'm going anyway. Nice. Setting time to target, two minutes, 15 seconds. 215, that's impossible. File attack point. Maverick's inbound.
He did it. Israel is looking for Maverick because Israel can't defeat her enemies. And she doesn't believe it can be done anymore. And so the prophet says, no, someone's coming who will get it done. But notice what they're expecting. They're expecting a warrior, a fighter, someone who is going to hack and slash. It's the first thing on your note sheets. The mighty God Israel is looking for was the warrior God who would lead the way against their enemies. They wanted someone who could show them that the Romans could be cast off or, or at various different times in their history, other foreign powers, uh, Egyptians sometimes or, or the Canaanites. They wanted to know that God was leading them so that he could do the amazing things he did back in the Old Testament times. The question then is this. Jesus didn't do any of that. So when Jesus is called the warrior God... What does that mean? Who are the real enemies that Jesus came to defeat? Because it doesn't seem like what we expected. And yet we're, t- we're told he is the warrior God. Well, let's go to Colossians. Let's go to Colossians 2 where Paul describes who the enemies are that Jesus must defeat. Uh, when you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Circumcision in the Old Testament is a sign of submission. Okay, if you're no circumcision, it's a sign where a a piece of your flesh is taken off, if you're a male, so that you can show your submission to God. You have, it's very, it's it's talking about control of sexual nature, usually, um, in the ancient world. Saying, I could have control of this, but I'm handing it over to you, God. Okay, uh, so when Paul says the uncircumcision of your flesh, what he's saying is, is the time before, before we, we met Jesus, when the flesh was in control. And we were not submitted. Well, when that was still going on, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Our legal indebtedness, that's literally the word for a, a bill of record. It's uh, your, your record of debt. And we're, we're familiar with this, right? Because, because we know about, especially at Christmas time, the naughty list. Right? Uh, when, I don't know if we still tell kids this. Alice, do you know what happens if you're naughty and you're on the naughty list? She's, she knows. You get coal in your stocking. That's right. And the question is, how do, you, like, what, how do we avoid getting a naughty list? Because Santa's looking. He's... he's omniscient, I guess. And he's, he's watching us, all of us, all year long. Um, and, and what he's doing is he's, he's conducting a ledger, right? He's, so on, so the idea is if you're a kid and you're 51% of the time or more, you're, you're, uh, you're good, then you make the nice list and you get presents. If you're 51% of the time you're naughty, then it's coal in the stockings. And, and so that was just used as a threat in my day, like Tom, Behave yourself, because uh, you don't want to be on the naughty list. Well, the the the, the, the problem here is that fifty one percent of the time that's not too hard. I mean, most kids can pull off fifty one percent of the time being relatively decent. Um, and if you can't, like you do deserve coal in your stocking. Like like do better, kid. The problem though is Saint Anselm. Um, he he thought deeply about what we owe God. What we owe him. And he realized that what we owe God is an infinite amount of worship, honor, praise, and glory. 
Like God is the creator of the universe. He's perfectly good and a perfectly good being deserves not just our best, not definitely way more than 51%, not even 100%. An infinite amount of worship and majesty and glory is what every single human being owes God. And so when Paul says the, 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 the bill of record, the legal debt, he's talking about a list that goes on forever. Because from the time that we were born all the way through to the, the present, we have failed over and over and over again. And the results of that have been catastrophic. The results of sin have wrecked not just our lives, but our communities, our world. And we owe God better. But did you hear the, the language that Paul used? Paul says that this bill, this, this infinite naughty list, is nailed to the cross. Well, no, it wasn't. Jesus was nailed to the cross. Jesus, somehow, in, in the mystery of God's providence and goodness, Jesus took the, that infinite debt that every single one of us, past, present, and future, throughout all of human history owed, and pulled it into himself and allowed that to be destroyed, murdered on the cross, wiped out forever. This act is so infinitely glorious that once we have believed our sin is wiped away as far as the east is from the west, it can never be brought back, ever. No matter what we do, no matter who we are, that this single act destroyed your debt, my debt, forever. It's the next thing on your note sheets. Jesus, the warrior God, defeats our sin debt once and for all. Interesting. We, you know, we think, if we look at our lives, right, and we're like, who are our enemies? Like the Israelites, they looked at their lives and they're like, who are the enemies? It's the corrupt religious elites. It's the Romans. If we could just get rid of them, everything would be fine. And for us, we look at our lives. Well, what, you know, what are, what are our enemies? What do we need the warrior God to come and defeat? It's a lot of different things, right? Some of us have money problems, relationship problems. Um, family problems. We have all kinds of things that we're like, God, if you could just move powerfully and defeat this enemy that is holding me, that is holding me back, I would finally be free. Well, Jesus, the warrior God, suggests that maybe our eyes are on the wrong thing. Maybe our eyes should be directed more inwardly to our continued sin. Maybe that's the battle that really needs to be defeated. And it's not to say that God doesn't care about our circumstances. God does. And by all means, be praying for, for liberation from the things that oppress you. But, but notice that Israel did that so much that when Jesus, the warrior God, came to defeat the true evil sin, they missed it. That's the first enemy that the warrior God defeats. What's the second? Um, let's continue th this text. So uh, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Powers and authorities. Well, this sounds a lot more like enemies 
that Jesus has to defeat. And if you'll recall, I mean, it's been a couple of years, but when we were in First John, we saw this over and over and over again, where the Bible seems to think that behind the scenes is a spiritual reality that we're mostly unaware of. We just kind of sail right by. Ancient people were much more attentive to it, uh, but we in the, in the modern kind of mechanical, scientific West, we, we don't really think for the most part, that there's stuff going on behind the scenes. We think it's just human beings, cause and effect. And, and that, according to the Bible, is an impoverished, it's a, it's a weak and, and not full, it's anemic way of seeing the world. And I suggest to you, I suggest to you that, that we're wrong <laughs> and the Bible is right. And here's the evidence. Amazon.com. That's Amazon Smile. You remember this program where uh, Amazon did uh, giving by proxy. So you would be an Amazon customer, and if you signed up for smile.amazon.com, they would, you know, donate a fraction of whatever you purchased on Amazon.com to the charity of your choice. This program was was, uh, shuttered in February of this year. Do you know why? Amazon didn't like who its people were giving to. Jeff Bezos and all of his infinite wisdom decided, I, I am not, I don't approve of some of the charities, some of the, the churches that are getting money from this program. And so they dressed it up and like, you know, a whole bunch of, oh, well, this isn't the most effective way to, to donate, blah, blah, blah. So we're, we're canceling the program and we're going to choose our own charities and we're going to, that's who we're going to donate to. Have you known anyone who's worked for Amazon? or with Amazon. Um, Orchid Cheshire, uh, she and Brent set up our communion today. She, uh, for a long time, was in her job, was working with Amazon, and she said it was the most horrible experience of her professional life. Because, apparently, Amazon is an awful place to work for. 55% of Amazon employees are say they're burned out. And the longer they've been with the company, the higher uh, that rate goes. Um, fully 52% say that one of the things that scares them most is they believe that their company is watching them all the time. Now, how did that happen? I mean... Was there, was there, was there like some, some person who's like, hey, I know what we'll do. We'll, we'll come up with like the world's, uh, the country's second largest retailer behind Walmart and we'll find a way to make it hurt people. No one did that. But little choices, little nudges here and there throughout the corporate culture over time. Remember, the company's been around since the 90s, so it's been a while. I remember when they just used to sell books. Man. Over time, spiritual forces behind the scenes took advantage of Amazon, took advantage of their corporate culture, took advantage of the people who worked there, and began nudging it in directions that I, I'm sorry, I'm going to call what it is, evil. And I love Amazon. I've had more Amazon packages delivered to my door in the last two weeks than pretty much the last six months combined. And I'm not telling, you know, you know boycott Amazon. I don't know if that would help or, or, or what. But I do think it's important for us to, as Christians to be able to say, hey, wait a minute. Something's going on here. It's not good. 
And maybe the reason it's not good is because there's something going on behind the scenes, some spiritual power that we don't pay attention to. Another example of why the powers and authorities, I believe, are spiritual forces, this is a picture of Hamas. It's not that Hamas, I mean, Hamas, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know a whole lot about Gaza. I don't know a ton about their organization. What shocked me was, you know, it was a month ago, right? Maybe a little longer, where they go in and they, they just slaughter a bunch of people, taking, you know, women and children hostage, right? Um, what, 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 not, not that that happens. I understand the evils in the world. What shocked me and continues to shock me is the response from people all over the world, from institutions of higher learning. And not that, good, good, good heavens, the last thing I want is war, okay? I'm not for, I'm not for violence. I think that violence is bad. I, it, it ruins the perpetrators as much as those perpetrated against. And, and, and I'm for peace and all the things. But wasn't it weird? Don't you think it's weird that there were literally institutions where people were like, good job, Hamas. Or, well, Israel, you know, has turned them into an open-air prison. So they deserved it. Hmm. Okay. They deserved it. Isn't that odd? Isn't it odd that all over the world, there's all these institutions and communities where no one was able to just stand up and be like, no, no, this was evil. Full stop. Slaughtering kids, evil. Doesn't mean I have to jump on board for whatever else is going on, but at the very least I can stand up and say, this right here is evil. And it doesn't matter what, you know, Israel did or didn't do to the people of Gaza. That doesn't make a difference about the fact that when you go after innocent civilians and you just slaughter them, what you're doing is evil. How can our institutions come to such a point that we can't say what's the most obvious truth in the world? I submit to you that powers and authorities have infiltrated a lot of our institutions and have been nudging them in directions that make it impossible for people to just stand up and say what's true. So the next thing in your note sheets, the power and authorities are spiritual forces that push human communities and institutions towards evil. It's pretty, it's kind of scary to think about that, that that's a reality, that that's happening. But there's good news. See what Paul says about these powers and authorities. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The, the imagery that, that Paul is using is disarming, disarming a foreign power and then parading him through the streets. I have a, a picture here of um, the, the defeat of King Perseus. Plutarch writes about it, and he describes what happened after the man was defeated. Uh, the, the Greek uh, hero, the Greek general that defeated him, brought him and his whole family and all of their stuff, took all their armor off, took, and then made them sit and bow down, just, just absolutely humiliated them. Not just victory, but a victory that, that, that just shoves their face in it. 
That's the language that Paul is using. That's what he's done. That's what Jesus has done to the spiritual powers and authorities. But how did he do it? He didn't do it by, you know, physically overthrowing the, the, the Romans or the, the uh, corrupt religious elites. What he did instead is he went to the cross. Did you see that? Triumphing over, humiliating them, triumphing over them by going to the cross. What an odd way to win against the powers and authorities. Next thing in your note sheets is this. Jesus, the warrior God, humiliates the powers of evil through the power of the cross. It's a strange kind of power. It's, it's not what we're used to. When we think of power, we think of guns, ammo, swords, muscles. The power of the cross is a different kind of power. It's a power that relies on the faithfulness of God. It's a power that is willing to be weak in some ways. It's a power that's willing to go through sacrifice and self-giving in order to see ends met. And that should bring up a a couple of questions for us. And the the first one is this. Are we able to identify and willing to name evil powers? It's... it's, One of the hardest things, the saddest things to learn about um, totalitarian regimes um, is that the first thing they do is they take away people's ability to tell the truth about what's good and bad, right and wrong. So if you remember, we did a a book study on Live Not By Lies a couple years ago. And uh, in the book, uh, Roger interviews um, champions, fighters who survived communism in the Eastern Bloc. And what they, one of the the first things they said is they said, we will not be complicit in the lies the regime wants us to to tell. It might cost us prison. It might cost us relationships, but we are not going to be complicit in lies. We are going to see what evil is and name it and not be afraid of the consequences. I, I, I hate the fact that we are coming to a place in this culture where that is going to be something that we have to practice and and commit to. And so we have to have a focus on the ability to tell the truth. The second thing, what are the weapons of cross and resurrection we wield to defeat evil powers? One of the, the, the craziest things that Christians have to realize is that for the most part, what we're called to do is pray. What, what we're called to do is bear witness. We're not very often called to take up arms. Instead, what we're called to do is submit to God and say, God, in your power, in your time, in your victory, we will see the evil forces defeated. Our power is the power of self-sacrifice and self-giving. It's a power that often appears to be weakness. But that's the, the power that Jesus showed us. That's, that's the, 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 the pattern we're called to follow. Jesus went to the cross not to the sword. And last, what does it look like to truly believe that Jesus is mighty to save? I mean, do we really believe it? Do we really believe that the warrior God came and in the power of the cross defeated the powers and authorities? 
that he took all of the sin, past, present, future of the entire universe, everything that was wrong, and nailed it to the cross in his own flesh. What power we would have if we lived as though that was true, as though our prayers do matter, that they will be answered, that the enemy will be defeated, that it will finally be put under Jesus' feet and his dominion and authority will have no challenge. We're going to close um, with Mighty to Save. It's a powerful song. And as we're singing it, let's think about what kind of power Jesus has, what kind of power he gives us. Let's think about what kind of warriors we are being called to become. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you that you are the warrior God, and we praise you that your son Jesus is the warrior too. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you for coming and taking our sin debt and nailing it to the cross and yourself, destroying it and its power over us forever. And Jesus, we praise you for humiliating the powers and authorities and showing them that all of their strength is nothing compared to the power of the cross and resurrection. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and shake up our lives. Let us live in that victory over powers and dominions. Live in victory over the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us in this Advent season experience yet again the victory of the warrior God. And may the world look on in wonder. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.